Ham Jamboni. Welcome to the brand new Goethe Institute Kenya podcast. I'm your host, James Murua. We're starting with a series of interviews about artificial intelligence or AI. We'll be looking at opportunities and dangers of this new technology for the residents of Kenya and the Global South. Our first guest is John Walubengo, a lecturer at the Multimedia University of Kenya and a member on the Kenyan government's task force on AI and blockchain. Walubengo speaks about how we are already using AI, how those in the Global South can ensure they are in the AI value chain, and whether the machines are likely to rise up and attack us, like in the Terminator movies. Karibuni. Karibu Banawalibango. Asantegence. What is artificial intelligence, you know, for the for the layman? Okay, artificial intelligence is basically getting um, machines to behave like me and you. Um, in other words, uh, the key aspects will be to get the machine to to visualize, you know to be able to distinguish between pictures. That's the vision aspect of artificial intelligence. Uh, a branch of AI will be like to be able to, to do speech analysis or speech recognition. For example, um, how are you able to talk to um, softwares on either whether it's in Google or in, in, in your um apple machines your your computer is able to pick your voice and synthesize that to determine the words you're you're talking about and most people think it's it's far-fetched in your mobile phone when when you're using google map to move from one location to another and you're using their map for navigation there's this lady who is telling you drive left five meters to go something like that so that is a application of of ai from a speech uh, uh and and uh natural language processing perspective which is actually the third area i wanted to talk to that we are using ai is natural language processing so three things vi uh, computer vision uh speech recognition and uh, what I want to end up with called natural language processing, where you've seen, again, Google is leading in this space. You, 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 you type something in English, you click a button and it gives it to you in French or vice versa. Uh, I think of late they're trying to work on the Swahili version among others. So those, those will be the foundation of how we see AI in day-to-day -day applications. I hope you don't mind me asking, but well, why did you get into this space yourself? What was so interesting to you? Um, you know, you could be, you could have become a politician or something. Why, why this? <laughs> okay, uh, I guess, you see, I've been an IT teacher for the last 25 years. So IT, unlike other fields, you have to keep learning because what I learned in the university way back, you know, close to 30 years ago, there was no AI the way we know it. Of course, the theories were there, but the use cases were not there. So by virtue of being in academia is what has uh, forced me to, 
to to be up to date with uh, some of these emerging technologies yeah uh -huh. what i want to know is um i know that you're on the task force for ai and blockchain in kenya what does that entail what what, what is kenya thinking about uh, specifically ai okay yes this task force actually has been around it's been two years old uh we actually finished the key work which is to to uh engage kenyan um individuals enterprises and groups just to co correlate what ie means for ai means for them blockchain means for them and uh how kenya as a country can benefit uh so basically we we consolidated our reports and submitted to uh, the Minister of ICT, I think one and a half years ago. And one of the key recommendations that uh, we wanted, in, um, we suggested to the Minister is that uh, beyond the report, which identifies economic opportunities for AI as a country, uh, we uh, asked the Minister to put together what we call a, an advisory committee that will try and breathe life into the report because the report actually has very good uh, use cases for AI. For example, we recommended that government could use AI, for example, to um, predict famine or to predict drought such that you don't have to wait and then say, hey, there's famine, it hasn't rained for six months. One year ago, you should have known that it won't rain for six months. Or you don't have to wait and say, hey, where are these locusts coming from? So AI is able to make predictions for you know, decision-making purposes. So those proposals um, are in a very nice document. It's also on the internet, blockchain and AI, KE, if you Google that you'll find some of our recommendations. But I have to admit that because the advisory committee has not been constituted in terms of actualizing that uh, vision of how Kenya can leverage on AI has kind of slowed down, only private sector are doing it. If, if you look at most companies today, let's speak Safaricom, uh, you'll find that uh, they're providing a chat box you know, if instead of calling um, the customer service, you actually engage with the Safaricom chat box on your, you know, what's up interface. So you ask the chat box, which is an artificial sort of customer service and resolve your right, issues. Yeah. You say? Right. Uh, it's not a real person when I'm chatting with Safaricom or KCB on WhatsApp. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's a robot. It's a software robot. <laughs> so, so obviously, at the, at the higher level, the government are, are, are a bit slow, which is normal in, uh, especially in the environments we are, yeah. and the corporations are starting to use uh, artificial in the inter intelligence AI. technologies, yes. um, AI technologies. Um, do you have any examples of uh, individuals and uh, smaller groups of people using this AI? Okay. The and, and it doesn't have to be just in Kenya. It can be across mm. the region and across the mm. continent. Yes, I think I, I, I started uh, with actually an example. Uh, I personally, when I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm driving to a new location. Maybe there's a get together in some estate and you've never been there. You just fire up your, your Google Maps, identify your current location, type in the destination location, and AI is able to navigate or guide you through from your current position to your destination. And along the way, it's advising you about uh, the traffic conditions. It's telling you that 15 minutes from where you are now, you're going to run into heavy traffic and you'll spend another maybe uh, 15 minutes longer than anticipated. So this, these are use cases of AI at a personal level. Another example will be, uh, you know, where, where most of us are now wearing this uh, smart health devices, whether it's in form of a smart watch uh, or, or just some tool you put on your body when you're working out. And this tool is taking so much uh, data points about you, your, your temperature, your, your heartbeat, your pressure, and it's, 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 it's saving it in the cloud together with maybe one million other, you know, individuals who are, who are having the same gadget. And because it, the, the, the system has like <clears throat> a million uh, data points, it's able now to advise you on your health. It can tell you, for example, that uh, the statistics we've picked from you compared to a million others, we can see that in the next so many days, if you don't do a certain action, you're likely to be more exposed to some form of, you know, health um, challenges. So these are personal use of AI that is becoming mainstream. My, my small concern is the examples you're giving me are examples of AI from, you know, from, from the global north. Do we not have yeah. any examples? Do you have none? Because that, that, that is, isn't that a concern? Yes, it is. Um, it's, it's true that most uh, AI use cases have actually been developed in the, in the advanced economies. Um, and then us in Africa are mainly using it as consumers. We do not uh, uh, have sort of uh, equal capacity to participate at, uh, if you want, uh, development level. Uh, if, if you look at our skill sets in, in Africa, uh, and even I can talk about my university, you, you will find that the, from your faculty level, the number of lecturers that can teach AI um, is not as large as the ones that can, for example, teach pro general programming or other aspects of computer science. Uh, and that then reflects in, in the use cases that uh, you, you are actually highlighting that uh, most of these AI-driven products are, are, are going to come from the global north and they are likely to remain so until such a time when we have developed sufficient capacity to, to, to start contributing our own 
sort of indigenous algorithms or machine learning uh, routines. I have to mention that um, I remember a while back the, the Goethe uh, sponsored a VR, uh, a VR project where they allowed young filmmakers to do stuff with film uh, using mm -hmm. VR. Where we not be, where we may not be people at the top, where we are making the the languages and the algorithms. What what mm. are the opportunities in spaces like where we are making three D films, which you need VR? Um, are mm. there, are, do you see it happening, or is it something that you that is you know, you're you're noticing? No, there is there is uh, you see particularly in the AI value chain. Uh, there is opportunity for Kenyans to participate. Uh, however, they, they will be doing it at, at, at the bottom of, of that value chain. For example, uh, if, if uh, right now the hot thing up there is about um, autonomous uh, vehicles or you know, self-driving cars as they are called, uh, now, those self-driving cars need a lot of data for them to be able to make a decision that, hey, this is a, a dog, or this is a pothole, or this is a young child, or this is so-and-so. So to, to populate that data, right now that data is global north. I mean, it's autonomous cars driving in LA, if you bring it to drive in Nairobi, it will be completely lost <laughs> because its database, its backend is not like Nairobi. So the opportunity arises that uh, for that autonomous car to work, the data set within our environments must be created. And the people who can create those data sets is the people who live in those environments. So you are finding that uh, AI companies in the north are then hiring uh, local sort of labor to to start what we call labeling pictures. You know, this is a tree from the Kenyan context. This is a pothole from the Kenyan context, and then populating that uh, to act as a as a database for AI driven. Um, you know, application. So similarly, if, if you have uh, in the movie industry, some I'm told I'm not in the movie industry, but some movies are actually, AI has reached a point where it can create five minutes movies. So if, if you want um, uh, the AI that did a five minutes movie in the US to do one for Africa, then you're going to need uh, African context, and at that point, then you need to engage our youth or people who can then contribute in that space. Yeah. So I mean, that means that um, as much as we, we you know, we, the, the the internet is still a very very global North, uh, uh, creature. Um, um, we are not going to see, um, you know, decolonizing of the of the internet anytime soon. Oh, based on what you're saying right now, like we are, we are not likely to see uh, what we're going to see for a long time is is you know us consuming the products coming from another part of the world and and being consumers forever. Uh, sort of yes and no. Uh, yes, because the 
the algorithms or the heart of that AI is is being developed uh, by by the global north software engineers so it inherently becomes very biased uh, to those contexts um, and if that biasness continues or perceives then it's true that uh, most of these technologies will remain uh, very much global north however um, market dynamics because the ai that you build for let's say europe uh, within two three years it's you'll sell it and it will hit saturation in the european market then you'll now be forced to expand your market to to you know the south you know whether it's latin america or or asia and at that point your your ai product needs to be customized or to to be, you know, uh, tweaked for, for our context. And I can give an example. If you look at uh, Huawei, their latest, or let's say two, two, two generations ago, one of two years ago, actually, one of their so-called latest, uh, you know, mobile phone had um, an AI-enabled camera. Um, AI enabled just to sense that, hey, it's at night or it's late in the evening, so what I need to do is kick in some extra light or those sort of smooth or intelligent informed actions within your camera. Now, that camera, when it, it was bought by African consumers who are trying to take pictures of Africans, <laughs> that camera gets lost because it's unable to distinguish a black face within a dark environment. And so it means, therefore, that the Chinese manufacturers, having seen that mistake, are now forced to, to tweak their logic in order to take care of our, our unique context in order to sell the same products to us. So yes, the products, the AI products will be biased to the North, but eventually, as the North gets saturated from an economic point of view, these guys will begin to come down. But rather than wait, I would encourage Africans to jump into the, the, the game. I mean, we need as a country, and, and we had said this in our report, to make deliberate moves to 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 develop capacity we we need for example as a government to sponsor people deliberately to go abroad for ai related courses so that they come back and start developing um our unique ai solutions rather than waiting for those guys in the north to 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 reach a point where they can come down and do it for us yeah that's a very nice uh, note to end that thought. Um, uh, there is yeah. still hope for us. You know, as we continue along the lines of developing uh, an, an AI that gets more and more advanced, um, are you worried we're going to get to the you know Terminator Matrix uh, space at any point in time? I mean, the, will the machines ever come to us? Will the machines ever, you know, like overcome the human race? Uh, theoretically, yes, theoretically, yes, uh, but practically we are 
okay, some computer scientists put it like probably a hundred years from that reality. Why? Because the, the current generation of AI solutions are, are, are what we call narrow artificial intelligence. Narrow in the sense that it's very good at a very small thing. For example, your, your Google Navigator is extremely good at taking you from point A to point B. But they cannot do anything else beyond that. You understand? It's very good in a very narrow discipline. But for AI to get to the human level, you need to be very good in very many things. As a human being, you can get yourself from point A to point B. When you get home in point B, your mind switches to making ugali. That is another intelligent activity. After you've made ugali, your mind switches to something else. You're helping your kids to do homework. That's another space that requires another very specialized skill. So to get a single AI machine that is actually like you and me requires um, exponential uh, developments in computing power, exponential development in um, what we call cloud storage, exponential development in um, internet broadband speeds beyond what we currently have. So theoretically, yes, but practically, don't worry. We have a cool 100 years to relax <laughs> as the leaders of this, this globe. <laughs> but I maybe mean, I should also add... I've been seeing Sophie, the computer who talks, uh, and you know, you, you have to think about it, man. There is <laughs> the robots, I've seen them, but... They, they are very good at talking. If you ask them to make Ugali, they are completely lost. Or to drive you home, they have no clue. <laughs> okay. So we are still in charge, but your worry is, 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 is important. Computer scientists actually have come together and started creating what we call the code of ethics. Um, I'm sure you've, you've heard of uh, what they call AI-assisted military weapons. So you write logic that can decide to shoot people based on race, you can imagine. So it's, mm. not, it's not country A, country B fighting. It's just mm. a drone. You know, it's, it's, it's driven into a city and it's picking out blacks only. Every black gets one bullet. <laughs> and it skips a white man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, that is currently possible, and it's a concern, and computer scientists are, are, are sort of getting together and saying, let's publish a code of ethics for the computer scientists so that you sort of take an oath that you'll not contribute to these types of AI-driven developments. You know, the same way the military industry just decides and says, we're not going to to, to be producing, is it called landmines? Those things that blow your leg off. You know? It's possible to get landmines, but you reach a point and say, there are better ways to fight wars than to, to leave these things all over. Even after the war, they are killing people who 
really didn't know what the war was all about. So in the AI space, they are publishing codes that says, even if a hundred years from now we get to a point where we create that super intelligent AI machine, we must also have what we call um, a switch of button. Don't build AI machines without a button for reset. <laughs> so we're just saying we're, we're preempting the worst. If the worst happens that we create a, a machine that is, you know, all around better than us, we'll have one way to reset it. Yeah. The last question for you is about the future. You've been talking yeah. about you know, the dangers of what might happen and how the, how the community has been dealing with it. Well, what about the, the future for those of us who are, who are here? You, I mean, you are part of the task force. How, mm. how, much, how much employment can such a thing bring a, to a society like ours and across the continent? You know, or what mm. kind of uh, contribution can it make econ economically, socially, and, and so forth? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> AI is, is going to... Okay, first, the bad news. AI is going to... Uh, make people lose jobs. <laughs> and remember, uh, I, I, I talked about um, the chat box, whether it's from your bank or from your mobile provider. You realize if, if, if the chat box is resolving your issues, at the back end, what that means is that Safaricom, instead of employing, I don't know, maybe 100 customer care officers, they will cut down to 50. So right there you find 50 jobs lost. And, and that's a reality we cannot gloss over. Uh, whenever there's a new technology, it increases efficiency uh, at a lower cost. And private sector and even governments are going to adapt it. But here's the good news. Um, whenever there's a new technology, there's always new job descriptions, some of which we don't even know exist today. And they say that for every one job that new technologies uh, obsolete or lose, they create five new ones. Okay, so there will be jobs that arise out of this AI developments, some of which we don't know the names today, but they will be there because what new technology does is uh, to replace monotonous, repetitive things and create what we call at a higher level um, creativity type of work rather than mundane, repetitive type of works that, that, uh, that technology can actually take over. So there will be opportunities uh, for AI development uh, uh, and knowledge work that will come with, with AI. What comes to mind now, this is very restricted to computer science, is um, jobs like data scientists. They're beginning to be quite common now. You find companies wanting to hire data scientists. Data scientists are at the heart of of, of AI technologies because they're the ones who curate uh, the data sets that the machine learning algorithms are able to, to sift through and identify patterns. 
uh, you're also going to probably uh, hear more about what what we may call the, the, the legal fraternity. You have people who are specialized in litigation around technology. That's a new branch for lawyers because uh, there are challenges with AI. AI, for example, could could make a decision that impacts an individual negatively. So you've got to have a new branch of lawyers that understand some of that technology and marries it with law in order to prosecute some some of these things in court. I have to follow up on that. Um, with AI, is it looking rosy or should we be worried? <laughs> Again, it's both. Mm. It's it's... It's, it's both uh, an opportunity and also uh, a big problem. It's a big problem if we don't take uh, deliberate action to participate in the new uh, world order. Um, I can give you some opportunities right here. We know the AI that uh, Google... Uh, translate. You know, you type in English, you click a button, you get French, you get German, you get Spanish. I'm not sure if we now have Swahili and other indigenous African languages. Google must hire Swahili experts to give us the Swahili Google Translate. So that's an opportunity for, for, for us, an opportunity that really cannot be taken up by the Japanese or the Chinese. Mm. So within that industry, you will find, uh, you know, the, the Swahili experts uh, being contracted by Google to work on, on uh, Google Kiswahili Translate. Uh, I also mentioned about those guys building automatic um, autonomous vehicles or self-driving vehicles, they, are, they, are, they have no choice but to engage local, local labor in, in, in terms of uh, collecting data sets that are labeling. Data sets they can collect from <laughs> their satellites. But in terms of typing, this is, um, you know, a tree or this is a dog in, in the Kenyan environment or this is a pothole, that requires human intervention. So that becomes um, a, a job opportunity. But these jobs I'm mentioning are at the lower level. What we need is to now have our own high-level indigenous skills to not wait for the Googles to create um, the AI solutions. We could do it ourselves uh, such that we were employing people at all the value chains from the lower end to, to the high end. Now, the bad news is that if governments don't invest in capacity building, then those guys in the north will definitely uh, have us for lunch and dinner. <laughs> That's a very, very good way to end. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much, uh, John Walubengo. Asante. It was a pleasure. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of today's show. Thank you for tuning in to the Goethe Institute Kenya podcast, wherever around the world you may be. Until next time, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening.